welcome to Gravedigger Radio Podcast, broadcasting live from the afterlife. All right, guys, it's your host, Zach, hanging out in the studio with Jason and Anonymous Mike. At the top of the show, we got some announcements for you guys. We're going to be out at Scarefest, October 22nd through the 24th, here in Lexington, Kentucky. So come on by the booth, say hi, and buy some merchandise, and sit down with us and tell us your own scary stories. We've got some t-shirts available on our Facebook page with our logo on it, and it's got the Mothman, the Wendigo, a zombie, and all that was designed by Lexington-owned Ken Kirk, friend of the show and everything, so it's great to have a local artist designing some of our merchandise for us. So, Jason, take us away. We've got something special again today. Right, we're back with uh, Dr. Thomas Marksberry at the University of Kentucky talking about the horror genre. Hopefully you listened to the episode previous to this one. And today I thought we'd go deeper, kind of drill down a little bit more into horror and talk about some of the subgenres that exist within horror. And then also some great crossovers that you wouldn't think of where horror can pick up another genre on the side and it makes for a good intersection. So I thought we'd talk about that some and uh, toss it all back to Tom Marksbury, the expert who teaches horror film studies at University of Kentucky. So what are the subgenres within the horror umbrella that we should talk about? Oh, I thought you'd have those, Jason. I mean, there's <laughs> subgenres within subgenres, you know. it's uh, well, That's the closest I'll ever get to botany is thinking about that. That's sort of what, the way they, they branch out. Uh-huh. And of course, the idea is uh, genre and then subgenre between that and the other concept you want to think about is the uh, which I think you alluded to I would call a hybrid genre which is when you weld a couple of things together i guess the uh, low hanging fruit would be the slasher films not a lot of thought involved in these just gore blood splattered across the the screen oh, now wait a minute i want to dive into botany horror <laughs> <laughs> I like, there's a whole book on vegetable horror that's pretty interesting. It goes You're back to Gowan and the Green Knight in 1600. Oh. And more recently, The Happening. Yeah. Oh, yeah. God. Are we, oh, uh, I hate that movie so much. I'll tell you, the best book I ever read about plant horror is called Scott's The Ruins. Oh, yeah. And uh, The Ruins could have been one of the great films ever. I, I couldn't recommend the novel more. And they made the, just immediately bought up the rights. I think Ben Stiller bought the rights. And they made this uh, <laughs> nothing movie out of it. Went straight to video with a bunch of TV actors. Is that the one on the top of the temple? But yes. The oh, movie yeah, is, yeah, the yeah. yeah. No, no, no. Uh, crucial text. Uh, and we shouldn't forget, I, I don't keep up with horror literature as much as I ought to. And the same rules pertain. There's an awful lot of it. A lot, an awful lot of it's not very good. Sure. But the best of it is, uh, I'm reading this vampire novel now called Stainless. It's just amazing by the guy that write, wrote a brand new cherry flavor. But sorry, back back to the uh, subgenres. You name them, I'll uh, swing at them. No, you're fine. I was uh, like I said, low hanging fruit would be slasher films, and one that you think highly of is the original Halloween, right? Yes. So did that create the slasher genre? Well, there's stuff before that. And really what I would back it up to is Psycho and a British movie that's not as well known called Peeping Tom, uh, which is remarkably similar in some themes. Uh, Talk about reflexivity, though. The the psychopath uh, is completely unsympathetic, no Norman Bates at all. Mm -hmm. But because his father conducted experiments on him to see what he was afraid of, 
he developed an unhealthy uh, attraction to redheads, and he films them with a film camera that has a knife in it that comes out steadily towards the victim so he can film the death of the redhead in question. Ruined Michael Powell's career. Uh, one of the best movies ever made. Uh, Zach is our resident uh, um, redhead. Um, Ginger, how do you feel about I, this? I was going to say, I was like, wow, like, man. You slowly stabbed to death on film. <laughs> I, I feel like that's actually how I'm going to go. Some some jilted lover out there is going to film my last moments, and it's just going to be just run right through with a knife. I'm going to jump on this uh, Norman Bates as a sympathetic character thing. I watched that recently, at least within the like, like, last eight months or so. Um, is he sympathetic? I don't know. He thought I felt like he was kind of a creeper. He's, he's complicated. Yeah, and uh, John Gavin is not. You know, that's Hitchcock loves to do this sort of misdirection. It's like Rod Taylor and the Birds. Mm-hmm. He's not a movie star. You're not interested in him. He has nothing to bring to it. And somehow Hitchcock makes an asset out of that. And the boyfriend in uh, Psycho, who ends up ostensibly saving the day. Right. I mean, tell me two things that distinguish him from anything. Even when he takes the uh, the dead girlfriend's sister into the hotel room to pretend to be married, wow, you'd think that was a provocative situation. <laughs> Between him and Vera Miles, there's not a... So he can do uh, unsexuality. Hitchcock could specialize in that as well. As, but wait, wasn't the psycho in the original movie, wasn't he kind of based off of Ed Gein? To a degree, like with the obsession of the mother and everything there. Yeah, and there's a whole legend of Ed Gein. You know, there's a movie called Derange with Powers Blossom that not that many people have heard of. We've all got our mommy issues. Texas Chainsaw Massacre is is uh, that's same next, idea. That's the next one I was yeah. going to drop. Like, I think that fits the. I'm the looking genre. for a big Dahmer. I think there's going to be a Dahmer craze. There's a couple movies coming out already. I think there is. Like we mentioned in a previous podcast about like. Dahmer tourism up in Milwaukee is yeah. a huge thing. Like, you can go on the Dahmer tour. And again, it's... Those people in, in uh, Wisconsin, I don't know. They got nothing else to do, right? Wow. <laughs> they got some good football teams. That's yeah, they, can, they can go bowling, get some beers. Something in the cheese there. <laughs> Great book called Wisconsin Death Trip, actually. So, so there's, there's bones in the cheese out there. Ew. Bone cheese. Oh, say, human remains in the cheese out there in Wisconsin. Just got to turn them all into cannibals or something. What about the you know the Nightmare on Elm Street films? That's clearly slasher, but it also kind of takes you into this, this other realm of the dream state and, and those sorts of things. Um, is there anything worthwhile we should say about the, the Freddy Krueger movies? Uh, I like Wes Craven a lot, although not for for, for those, except yes. for I think I mentioned the uh, the reflexive movie where Wes Craven is in it. And Heather Lagenkamp and Robert Englund are, are, you know, they're all making a new Nightmare movie. And the thing that I like the best, though, and it applies to Candyman, too, I've been thinking about this, is the, the, the sympathetic villain who has his reasons and is, you know, therefore has to kill everybody. But mainly what he's interested in is keeping his credence and his reputation, and he generates off of fear. And so it's only to the extent that the people around him are afraid of him mm. and the myth of his sinister evil continues. That's where he gets his energy. I just think that's a really cool concept. And that it, then that's uh, if you can deny that energy in some way, you know, you, you can stop it. Wow, that's deep. Yeah, that's good. It's going to make me think. I'll be up at 3 a.m. now. Well, is urban horror, would you say, is that a subgenre we could talk about with, with Candyman, for example? Yeah, and you get examples of that from both extremes. Uh, so you get, I mean, it's just like comedy. It's a fish out of water. 
So you yeah. take people, you remove them from the environment they're familiar with, and you put them in an environment they don't know. That's every Stephen King strange little town story ever ever made. Mm -hmm. And it, it's interesting to take Texas Chainsaw Massacre, you take the kids from the city and take them out to the boonies, and so you tap into paranoia about rednecks and incest and all kinds of southern stereotypes. Or you can take people from the country into the city and and let them loose. Plus, every Nicholas Rogue movie ever made, who's one of my favorite directors, uh, Man Who Fell to Earth, Performance. I guess none of them are technically horror movies except Don't Look Now, which is one of the greatest horror movies ever, ever made in my mind. But every movie that he made, he'd take his characters and put them somewhere else where they didn't know what any of the rules were and where everything was threatening and nothing was uh, readable. You know, you, you didn't know how to interpret anything around you, and you were challenged to make all these clues add up to something. Uh, the man that was David Bowie. Yeah. Yeah. Kentuckian wrote that book, Walter Tevis. Oh, wow. Or as Avril Lavigne liked to call it, David Bowie. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to continue down this uh, theme of the country Horror. I mean, do you think that taps into something going way, way back? We, we, we talk about a lot of, like, not, not fictional horror, but just, like, grim history on this podcast. We've talked about werewolves and witchcraft and all that stuff. About, you know, inside the there's even going way, way back in the 1500s, the idea that the village of the town is safe, and once you wander outside of that, it's it's just wild country. Anything can happen. Who knows? There's all kinds of creatures or or ghosts or supernatural activity out there that you should be afraid of so do you think like modern country horror if it's the redneck or the unsophisticated or the inbred we're here in kentucky so we can talk a lot about that do you think that's tapping into a more ancient fear or sense of dread that goes back centuries beyond our our time now that the the, the, the country horror is really just a continuance of something that's uh, centuries old this idea that outside of civilization anything can happen and it might not be good for you yeah, inbred, redneck, all these words. I, I say these words only because I is one. Or I would not, <laughs> would not use them. I think we're all in this room, uh, we're guilty. But there's something, another subgenre called folk horror. And a lot of it's British, but it's been uh, midsummer, I would definitely put into that category. Absolutely. I mentioned the, the Wicker Man earlier. So, like the witch. Uh, yeah. The witch. There's been a lot, lot of that cropping up hither and yon lately and it depends on this notion of something very old and it's usually about like uh vegetation cycles and and, and things like that which kind of to me connects with lovecraft and this sense that um hmm. something here is very very old so old that it can't even remember what it is itself and that it comes from the country and it comes from nature and it's in a weird way that segues over into the vegetation horror Oh, I can tell you some horror stories growing up in tobacco. <laughs> well, going back, though, to what you guys had said about, uh, like, the country horror and everything, do you think, though, that kind of goes back to the innately tribalistic ways that humans are of an us-versus-them mindset? And a lot of these, you know, people that are going to see the movies are in larger city population centers, so it's easy to make the villain the the outsiders you know the, the us versus them and to be afraid of the the people that are different than you and, and and have whole different lives it's easy to make them the monsters because you don't know anything about them kind of a fear of the unknown too and you're gonna sell more tickets to people in the city that are scared of folks in the country i like that kind of brutal marxist analysis <laughs> of the 
economy of the thing. I think you're probably absolutely right about that. As I mean, most that, people that are going to see a horror movie in a theater, at least older horror movies, but the are probably in a city, and they probably don't know much about the people in the country, and they certainly don't know much about the South. The whole Hollywood notion of the South is uh, larger than just uh, Ned Beatty squealing like a pig. Ask me about that one one time. I asked Ned about the pig. As but the not city, there's, there's a movie begging to be made about that kind of topic about how tribal we are now in 2021, um, especially with our politics and how divided it is, kind of red state, blue state. Well, you've got so many uh, poor white men, MAGA types, who hey, careful, feel like they've careful. been victimized poor by white the world. <laughs> and, they, and they need to be that. I guarantee you there'll be a big cycle of uh, kind of a splice into something really racist like Death Wish. Hmm. Um, you mentioned, um, I want to back up just for a yeah, second. Yeah, you might want to change the subject. I don't know. No, you've dropped a few uh, film school terms on us here that, you know, the listening public might not um, understand, uh, reflexivity in films. So can you briefly tell us about what that Yeah, I means? mean, every medium, there's a version of it where you realize that it's conscious of itself, that it's self-aware of itself as a fictional construct. And that might sound fancy, but like think about the insurance commercial where the cowboy rides off and then the, the lettering that says the end knocks him off his horse. And you know that it's not supposed to because it's not diegetic. Or think about the moment I always point out when Buzz Lightyear in Toy Story sees the commercial for Buzz Lightyear and realizes that he's not a unique entity, but that he's just a mass-produced uh, thing that's up for sale like everything else. So is it akin to the idea of like breaking the fourth wall? Just kind of like, I know that you know that I know? That's kind of like entry-level reflexivity. Okay. And it's sort of like horror films, like everybody, you know, gets it at that level, and then they just say it's reflexive, and they walk away without bo bothering to think about the, the spectrum, again, of how the reflexivity works. So is Deadpool a master of reflexivity? I can't speak to Deadpool. It's definitely a lot of fourth wall breaking, but the one that kind of came to mind for me was uh, Cabin in the Woods, where they're, it's the the people they're taking bets or whatever on what kind of horror monsters, and they're they're unleashing these creatures and, and different horror genre tropes. Is that kind of more the... Yeah, thing? and sometimes it gets reduced to just uh, scream, you know, what are the yeah, rules, okay. where it's there's nothing interesting about it at all. I, I think there's more to Cabin, to the Cabin in the Woods than that, but... But you can just break the fourth wall and have done with it and bore the shit out of everybody. Just for I'm, a quick laugh. I'm kind of done with that. You know, every, every, the office, you know, just everything that was ever produced for about three years in a row there. Mm -hmm. Whereas it was very clear that they were talking like directly to the viewer mm -hmm. in those, those interview moments. Yeah, I, I never could get into the office. It, is, it did nothing for me. I know I'm going to catch some <laughs> flack for that, but it just never. Well, it's just a matter of now that you've introduced this, do something with it. And Cabin in the Woods, like it or not, definitely does. Well, go ahead. Tell us, tell us about uh, that. Well, I don't know if that's the, the, what I want. Here's a film history thing. In Andalusian Dogs, which is a Boonwell movie from 1923, there's a sadistic guy played by Boonwell, the director, just like Wes Craven or Polanski or anybody showing up in their own movies as mm -hmm. sort of a sadist. Hitchcock. Tarantino. Absolutely. And he's about to use a razor to cut this woman's eye out. I, I hate and, eye injuries. Uh, trauma to the eye. Crucial. You know, it doesn't. You don't have to be Fulci or Argento to do some trauma to the eye. There it is at the very beginning. 
and nobody's eyes are more traumatized than mine so i get it <laughs> but that's there's a direct assault on the spectator you can't just watch this we're looking at you too and you're gonna have to bleed along with me and then the camera cuts away and you see this uh limb of a tree kind of intersecting the moon so it looks like a symbolic representation of, of severing us. the eye then you cut back to it and you see it so just when you thought okay it's a metaphor no no safety in metaphors here you showed us and you showed us that scene in class you asshole <laughs> i'll do it again <laughs> i think all film comes from that so let's get talk about body horror then. That's a subgenre of horror. Yes, and most of it uh, leaves me cold. You know, I'm I'm not the whole. How did they get that effect? Mm-hmm. Right. Um. I I have recently, and I wanted to half-heartedly recommend this on Shutter. There's two documentaries. There's one called In Search of Darkness, and one called Imaginatively Enough In Search of Darkness Two. And what the guy has done is he's done all these interviews with uh, just a plethora of people, some of whom are relevant, some of whom aren't. And he's cut it up with trailers and lots of clips. And he, the, the, thing, the whole thing runs like eight hours. And um, he's got John Carpenter and Romero and archival stuff and, and lots of good movies included. And it's, it's well worth it for that. And lots of just absolute doo-doo. And it's well worth it for that, too. It's an amazing, if you thought you knew the 80s, you know, you, you wade through this thing and you're going to pick up on some things you never heard of, I guarantee you. I know I did. But I would say it seemed like a third, because I got so excited when it started. And then it, it de-escalated into this uh, special effects geeks. Here's how I did this. Tom Savini, I'm a rock star. On and on and on and on. And the whole false reverence for the special effects is... is but I'm getting to the, the body horror, mm-hmm. which is, I think, it's undermined by that. For instance, they showed this movie where the bladder, the guy's head blew up, and they just decided, let's see, see how far the bladder will, will go. And it's not even unintentionally comic. I mean, it's just... It, it, it's just it wouldn't scare a two-year-old child anybody would would laugh at it whereas the best horror the best body horror is cronenberg people like that that are using those effects to some end so almost everything in videodrome which i could cheerfully spend the rest of our time talking about i think it's one of the great modern horror pictures and maybe a good comparison to halloween halloween every frame of it is formally perfect even though I sort of hate the story and I hate the political implications of it and I hate the influence that it's had, mm-hmm. it's a work of art every frame. Whereas Videodrome is a little raggedy around the edges and certainly the special effects, uh, p- younger people are going to find them hinky. But he has a scene in that, for instance, where the character opens up this sort of vagina in his chest that he inserts a videotape into. And then another one where he inserts his head into a television set that just are not just uh, provocative, but set off a chain of associations that's well worth <laughs> thinking about uh, at some length. Wait, wait, what were we talking about again? 
So that's body horror, as far as I'm concerned. It almost makes you think it's of like, mind horror too. You know, that's. The, I think of some of like the uh, the Cenobites from the Hellraiser series. As far as what you just described there, that's what kind of came to mind for me. I had eye surgery in Japan. I can tell you all about body horror. No painkillers. Anyway. Oh, Jesus. Oh. <laughs> oh God, we gotta talk about that afterwards because now I'm curious, and I'm I'm sure the. Listeners don't want to hear about you getting your eyes scraped on, or maybe they do. Well, do you think about how much, uh, what's the movie where the needles stick the guy in the eye unless he keeps looking at something? Audition? Is that Audition? There, there are audition? a few of those. Is that a, one of the Korean? Yeah. I mean, it's Asian. I'll go that far. Exactly. I haven't seen it, but I think you were talking about yeah. this yesterday, Anonymous Mike. I don't I don't know if it was Audition or what. one, one of the body horror movies I really, really enjoyed. Oh, out, right? yeah. It's... Yeah. But eyes are singled out, and rightly so, because that's what we're bringing into the equation. And certainly ever since Hitchcock has sort of elevated this, it's important to think about your own culpability in the action. I mean, what are you doing watching all this shit for? See, you elected to do it. Maybe you should have you your eyes have yanked out. Some reason. Yeah, <laughs> so you must be punished. That's why I hate the... And uh... therefore the text is taboo. I mean, think about how often that happens, too, mm. where it's something that you're not allowed to look at you're not supposed to read the necromonicron oh, but you're going you're to. not supposed to watch the ring video but you're going to yeah you have to because you can't is that more powerful because we use our eyes probably as our primary sense to you know yeah. interpret the world and also because that's like the windows to the soul yeah. or whatever if you allow that in it's in no that's why it's such a cliche because it's it's absolutely uh you know, just intuitive on the part of filmmakers from the very beginning, because they were starting at least to think about what they were doing. And then you've got this sort of camera mediating the whole process. So that's why there's so many movies about somebody filming something or putting it on TV. And um, just to make sure, I, I want to emphasize this, the way that Boonwell used it, in 1920 is so much more sophisticated or the way that Peter Bogdanovich yes. used it in targets uh, with a drive-in slaughter with holes in the screen with the killer firing through the holes in the screen at the lovers in the audience. Uh, that's so much more interesting than some piece of shit like Funny Games, which I think is so highly overrated just for bothering to throw in that stuff with the... Uh, it's always videotaped too. You never see anybody recording something on DVD. It's like, you know, oh, it's a it's a mysterious eight track tape that nobody can even play anymore. Let's stop at the local library and look up some information in the forbidden book. Now, are you talking the European funny games or the American funny games? Either one of them. Shit is shit. The guy, the same guy, committed both the crimes. So I was going to ask what you thought about the uh, like found footage movies, kind of like the Blair Witch Project and all that, kind of go back to what you oh, were talking yeah. about. Oh, one of those I'm Hey, Bobcat Goatwait did a decent one did about he? Bigfoot that was actually oh, really good. I would like to listen to him narrate, but only listen to him narrate for about 30 seconds. It was much better found than, footage, I, than I gave it. Found footage, that's a great subgenre. Yeah. Found footage. Yeah, yeah. Well, because you've got Blair Witch, you've got Cloverfield, which is one of my like yeah. favorite monster movies. I didn't really like the sequels, but Cloverfield, the first one, was a lot of fun. Now, 10 Cloverfield Lane was I, good I, to me. I actually not seen that one. The, the sequel where they're in space was kind of, eh. But, no, but, so, like, what do you think about the found footage genres? Uh, initially interesting, but almost done to death, which doesn't mean that somebody can't come along and reinvigorate it. Uh, you know, I liked the first Paranormal when it, when it came out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I liked Blair Witch. 
there's even a, a dead movie like the a, a Romero uh, Living Dead movie where they're making it's kind of weird. Dennis Hopper plays this sort of Trump-like character who lives at the top of a tower. Much as I dislike Dennis Hopper, I wouldn't wish what, that. What was that him. called? Diary of the Dead. That I haven't seen. I've, it. I've heard of that. I've never watched it, but yes, I've heard of Diary of the Dead. I'm kind of over the whole zombie genre thing. See, oh, I love zombies, though, man. That's like one of my I favorites. I did, too. But... Well, everything, I mean, it leads to fatigue, all of them. Hmm. The problem with uh, every genre is that uh, you sort of discover it, and then there's, uh, or at least every new wrinkle, you know, every subgenre, and then you uh, come to terms with it, and then it enters a sort of classic phase where you do your best work with it. And right. the, and Night then, of the Living Dead was then one, it was eventually one of, yeah. it eventually becomes a self parody though and you know after Frankenstein Bride of Frankenstein Son of Frankenstein House of Frankenstein oh, okay, after yeah. you when you get th- those are still worth looking at though so when you say reinvent but, but when you get to Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein <laughs> maybe it's time to do something new you and then the you've got to salt the salt the earth and build it again from the ground up so when you say reinvent you're talking like Night of the Living Dead of course is fantastic for for me and then there's some garbage and then you get this really wonderful reinvention called 28 days later for me that i that i loved and that now it's dead again to me but then there's 29 days later 30 days later (laughs) (laughs) no it uh uh that's that's the problem with genre anything Mm -hmm. you know that there's that's what the word means that's the the problem with talking about genre is that people think it means generic and and that's not the same thing but you something gets inevitably reduced to a formula, and then if you can't do something new with the formula, you're 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 just uh, waist deep in the big muddy. Okay, so we got a few minutes left. Um, maybe talk about hybrid things that horror can pair with, and it makes a good match to produce a good film. Okay, I'm gonna just uh, be unusually generous because I'm coming up kind of short, and maybe cut you all in on this one a little bit more. Okay. But I got one that, that just is something I hadn't really thought about for today. Uh-huh. Uh, but just offhand, uh, Near Dark, which I think is, is other than having maybe the worst ending in any horror movie ever, is just about the best horror movie ever made. The, the whole, like, oh, that didn't seem realistic. Oh, that couldn't have happened. It's amazing to me how much we all come up with that, and I do too, as if. As if we're watching these things for some kind of sustained, rigorous uh, logic. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Near Dark is a perfect cross between kind of a what I would call a redneck drive-in movie, a vampire movie, and a western. It's got aspects of all those. Uh, and Catherine Bigelow, it, I think what, what really made it so powerful and new was this sense that anything could happen and you were working off about four or five different sets of rules which were in conflict with each other. So the Western conventions seemed to be in violation of the vampire conventions. Hmm. They drove around in a camper in the daylight with uh, like blankets over the window. But the main thing it was, uh, was a rural gangster outlaw couple on the run movie, which is a super specific genre. Yeah. I mean, it's like Bonnie and Clyde and gun crazy. And the end of it, when they're they're shooting out in the motel and they're shooting uh, holes that are letting the light into their shabby uh, hotel motel room is just uh, shot for shot out of Bonnie and Clyde. Are there any other hybrid films that work, even though they might not seem to at first glance? 
Like why would why would horror and sci-fi work together? Well, because they one hand washes the other. I uh-huh. mean, again, it's it's there are quote unquote sci-fi films that I think are really uh, horror movies, like Alien, which is uh, has basically no technological premise at all, but is a haunted house movie in outer space. That may be the best example off the top of the head. Yeah. Uh, and and science fiction films that get really theoretically and technological lose my interest uh, quickly. Uh, but uh, well, I teach the, this movie called The Night of the Hunter a lot. Yes. And it has horror movie elements. It has film noir elements. It makes reference to cartoons like The Roadrunner. Um, it Is has it, a western element. It, it has, has a western a, or folksy a little bit. A fairy tale quality yeah. it has a kind of uh, after school sunday school religious uh, special with lillian gish there it's uh mm-hmm. you know when you describe it to people it, it, it would never be produced today you know because you, you can't know, God, explain no. it in 20 words <laughs> and nobody would think that you could ever put all of those elements into the same movie it even crossed like stylistic boundaries. Absolutely. Yeah, and just the, the cinematography of the thing. Absolutely. It, it's all over the map, but it totally works as a great film. And I guess that's the point that I would like to, you know, sort of end with is is that the beauty of genre is that we have this shorthand for talking about the way this stuff works. Mm-hmm. And as long as you just take it at that level, it's fine. But the danger of genre is that you start uh, making little silos and compartments and putting things that you don't think you're interested in and trying to keep everything separate and, and keep it all from the beautiful sloppy mess of all of it running together. And, uh, oh, I don't like horror movies, you know. I mean, I don't even say I don't like musicals. <laughs> I don't much like them, but I could name 10 or 20 that are just changed my life. Yeah. You've got to be Mama open. Mia. Yeah. Your mama Mia. Back to the back to Abba. That's the, the, the source of all waters. I was saying at least Sweeney Todd, we got some horror in there. Come on, give me a break. Mama uh, Mia. Uh yeah, Sweeney Todd. Well and and it helps to know hammer films. I mean, most of the Tim Burton Depp product is really about me and my sewing room <laughs> showing horror of Dracula in nineteen sixty two. Whew, that's a lot to chew on for another episode, Zach. I believe so. <laughs> so, Dr. Mark Sperry, thank you so much for joining us for this episode. Absolutely. You guys are a national resource. And it, it's so much fun. Well, thank you for the, the high compliment. a lot of things, yeah. but I don't know about that. I'll say, I think that may be the nicest <laughs> thing this podcast has ever been called. But, you know, as we're gearing up for spooky season and as we get closer to Halloween, you know, definitely have some movie recommendations and everything coming forward. I mean, we've listed off a lot of movies here. But tune in for the next episode where we're going to really take a deep dive in some of the best horror movies, the, the the master list from the master himself, and break things down. So thank you guys so much for joining us for this episode. And if you like what we do here at the podcast and you want to support us, head over to our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Radio. Or if you want to buy us a beer, as we've debuted on this epi- or on the previous episode with our, our Bat Squatch IPA, if fine cones were alcohol, you can buy us a beer at our Buy Me a Coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash gravedigger. That was good. All right. Yeah, sure. Bat Squatch Rogue. Yeah, you know what, Mike? I'm glad that was you good. got the endorsement. It was, I wouldn't kick it out of bed. It, it was a drink. I'll, I'll say that much about it. Well, guys, tune in next time for another spooky tale.